Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, and we are here for another excellent episode with you today. We are continuing on our series of going through the book, Becoming Your Own Banker by R. Nelson Nash, our hero in the infinite banking space. And Bruce, I'm really excited for this conversation. I think this is, I need to remember, um, I set this up and then I forget the number, the count that we're on. I'm thinking that this is episode 10 now in our series as we've been going through this book and... There we go, part 10. So we've had nine parts of this book so far. We're not even halfway through. There's so much meat in this book, so much that we can apply to our lives, not just in the infinite banking space and financially, but also just in practical life context and how we think. So Bruce, thank you for joining me this morning. And I'd love to hear your thoughts as we jump into this new episode on the arrival syndrome. Yeah, what's interesting is um, <clears throat> this is a fairly short uh, chapter that Nelson read, or excuse me, wrote, but I believe it might be one of the most important ones. It's something that I think I've tried to live by my entire life. I didn't know what I, that I was living by it until I met Nelson, and he put he put uh, some guidelines to it. And then I actually have some some examples of some other people in the industry that may have already been held back by the arrival syndrome mm. and i and i'd like to comment on him and why i i believe that first of all i'd like to thank everybody for listening and thanks fritz for commenting already and we'll get to that in just a second what we're trying to do here <clears throat> i think what happens is in the industry and in the social media age is everybody thinks they have it figured out and they want to make sure that everybody knows how great their life is and you know, do it our way, our way is the only way. And, you know, I think our attitude from the very beginning was just to add educational aspects and also challenge people to also challenge us and ask why should we listen to Bruce and Rachel at the Money Advantage? Mm -hmm. And because we do not know everything, we do not know everything about you. We are, we are constantly trying to evolve, but we're evolving with the idea that the Bible is the Nelson Nash Institute, and the Becoming Your Own Banker is the book that you should be um, really getting your source of information. And that is one of the things I'm going to talk about today, because there are people out there that are raving about IBC, but think Nelson's book and Nelson himself is, is actually past the ideas, and they figured it all out. You should listen to them. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, that today. Uh, yes, there's so much in here. And again, you mentioned short chapter. It's barely a page. And yet there's so much packed into it. So um, what we're going to do is I just want to give a very, very quick recap. Basically, the book started with this concept of how can you, well, first, how did the infinite banking concept get started? Nelson figured out that when he was in a financial pinch, he had a lot of stresses in his life. He had a sick granddaughter. He had uh, real estate debt that was going up to, I think it was 23% interest or 26. It was really, really high. 
He couldn't pay that. He was trying to figure out how to um, pay some loans. He had a burglary in his home, just a lot of unfortunate circumstances. And he, at that moment, realized that he had access to cash value inside of his life insurance policies that he'd been paying into for years and years, not realizing that he had this capital available. So that was his awakening to this concept of what is infinite banking? What is this ability to use my whole life insurance policy while I'm living, not just after I have passed away? And then he just really unpacks these ideas about what does it mean to set up a bank? What does it mean to um, think about the cost of capital, your cost of capital? You do not just pay expenses. You have a lot of interest flowing out of your lives to other banks and other financial institutions. And what he's saying is when other banks and financial institutions are in charge of capital, all the money flows in a way that it's all connected. It's integrated, kind of like the water system. We have evaporation goes up into the clouds. We have the rain that comes down. And I just read the magic school bus to my daughters the other day, and it reinforced this whole idea that, I mean, we have the same water that's in our bodies that's made up of a lot of water. We have water that's being recycled through the water system in the world. And money is just like that. It's being recycled and reused. And what we can do is not just have it stashed and sitting and stored in the hands of other institutions, but we can actually reclaim that function and control capital by warehousing it in our own financial life. And when we do that, we have just so many more options. And so he walks through, how do you set up a banking system? How do you capitalize? How do you not be afraid to capitalize? And then he really takes a break from the technical side of talking about banking and what it means to use a life insurance policy. And he starts unpacking the human condition as he talks about these human problems. And he's very wise to address these here because so often we can get stuck in a way of thinking it's just about the strategy. It's just about the tactic. We can just manipulate these financial um, situations in our life and we can be all in control. And it's just about the money where as we are almost divorced or separate from this concept of what we're doing financially. And Nelson is saying, no, it really has to do all with you. It has to do with your habits, your lifestyle, how you think. And so he's he begins addressing all of these human condition, human problems. And so first with that, we talked about Parkinson's law, the tendency that we all have to spend everything that we make because that's our human nature to have expenses rise to meet income. Then he talks about Willie Sutton's law, whereas where he talks about wherever wealth is accumulated, somebody's going to try to steal that or take that because it's easier to capture something that somebody else has created rather than to figure out the system to create it yourself. And he talks about taxation with that and how we can step away from having so much taxation by using specially designed life insurance. Then we talked last time, so it wasn't last week, I think it was two weeks ago, on the golden rule. And he uses this concept to say, he who has the gold makes the rules, meaning let's be in charge of and controlling capital, which leads us to the arrival syndrome. And really, he basically communicates this as saying, if we think we've arrived, if we think we know everything then we have this arrival syndrome, which is the illusion of knowledge that shortcuts us and makes us stop growing. And Bruce, I'm going to leave it there because I have so much I want to say about it, but I would love to hear 
more of your thoughts before I jump into mine. Well, what's interesting, I was just talking about this with somebody and another in a business consulting role uh, just two days ago. And, it, and a phrase came to me that is very, very much what we're talking about today is that arrival syndrome is, is equal to arrogance. And arrogant people breed ignorance because ignorance is, ignorance is about not even knowing something. It's not, it's not that you can't know it. That's, that's because everybody doesn't understand. I should say everybody. Most people that I've run into in my life do not know that ignorance is not really a derogatory term. Ignorance is not actually been, being exposed and accepting of some, of some new ideas or new knowledge. It's not that you're dumb or unintelligent. It's just that you haven't been exposed to it. And so arrogance actually means that you have you think you have arrived and know and know everything. And because of that, it breeds ignorance. And that is what Nelson's talking about in the arrival syndrome is as soon as you think you've arrived and you don't, you can't learn from anybody else. And I'm talking to all our listeners right now in every aspect of your life, whether it's your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your coworkers, your relationship with your family, your children, so on and so forth. If you think you know everything, then you are going to breed ignorance because that means you're not going to expose yourself to other ways. This is also happening in our political system right now, in that both sides of the aisle really believe that they are right 100% of the time. And when you believe that, you do not open yourself up to other ways of thinking. Thus, that is ignorance. You, you're not able to take in other ways of knowledge. Nelson says, and this is a very powerful statement. He says, now we turn our attention to probably the, and he, and he says it like this, the most devastating matter that we have examined thus far, it's called the arrival syndrome. And I think just that opening paragraph tells you, even though this is a short chapter, it's a very powerful chapter. Bruce, it completely is. And, you know, this reminds me of the work that Carol Dweck has done on fixed versus growth mindsets. And so I pulled up some information about this because I think psychologists and thinkers and thought leaders are becoming aware of this concept of the arrival syndrome in so many different ways that we're having the opportunity to grow past it, but it holds so many people back. And so I just want to comment on some of the similarities between um, arrival syndrome and the growth mindset, or actually that would be, and the fixed mindset. So Carol Dweck has written a book. She studies human motivation. Her book is called Mindset, the New Psychology of Success. You've probably heard of this concept before, but I wanted to just summarize a few key pieces where in a fixed mindset, you think intelligence is static. You have a desire to look smart, and therefore you have a tendency to view all of these things in a certain way. So challenges you view as Let's avoid a challenge. Let's stay away from the challenge because it's going to be too difficult. My intelligence may not be capable of helping me through this challenge. An obstacle, you're going to give up early. Your effort, you're going to see effort as fruitless or um, worse. So if you are 
having to exert effort on something, that's a bad thing. Criticism, you are going to ignore useful, negative feedback. And then you're going to see the success of others as you're going to be feeling threatened by others' success. And here there's a great diagram um, that I'm kind of reading through on the fixed mindset versus growth mindset. As a result, they this person with a fixed mindset is going to plateau early and achieve less than their full potential. And all of this is a confirmation of their deterministic view of the world, that the world is finite. My intelligence is finite. I may or may not be capable of growing my intelligence, overcoming challenges and obstacles. So the reason that I equate this to the arrival syndrome is that if you look at the world from a fixed mindset, then you can say, I have everything that I need right now in my mind, and I have arrived. I, it, my intelligence is fixed. My knowledge is fixed. I have, I have learned everything that there is to know in this sphere, in this field, or in this industry, in this concept of infinite banking, or in my financial life, or I fully understand everything there is to know, and I cannot be taught something new. Whereas a growth mindset recognizes that we all have the capacity to continue growing. There's always more growth potential beyond what we already know. And we have to be humble, as you were mentioning, Bruce, in order to have a growth mindset because we can't approach life with that same arrogance. So here is how the growth mindset uh, approaches life differently. They believe that intelligence can be developed, meaning I can't arrive because I can always develop more intelligence. They It leads to desire to learn and therefore tendency to view challenges in this way as they're going to embrace challenges. They're going to run into a challenge because they say, I can figure out how to overcome this. I can become more and I can learn more and I can do more and I can think better than I'm currently thinking today. They're going to persist in the face of setbacks. They're going to see effort as a path to mastery meaning let's continue pushing even once we think we've arrived. When, when, when we feel like maybe we have done better than everybody else, we've done better than we thought we could ever do, we still have the ability to continue pushing towards mastery. We can learn from criticism with a growth mindset, and then we find lessons and inspiration in the success of others. As a result, they reach higher levels of achievement, and that gives them a greater sense of free will. I think that's just a really powerful way of thinking about the arrival syndrome because the arrival syndrome is limiting, frankly. I mean, it is from a scarcity perspective where there's a finite amount of knowledge, there's a finite amount of wisdom. I've arrived. I, d- I can't absorb any more information. I can't take on any more information. There's nothing more for me to do. This is the peak of my capacity. And that is always going to be a limitation where there's, if with, with a growth mindset, we have the capability to reach past that and really continue to truly learn. Bruce, this also makes me think of, um, you talk about consciously, there's these um, four quadrants Mm -hmm. where when you begin something, first you are ignorant of your comp, you're ignorant that you don't know anything. You don't know that you don't know, right? And so that's called being unconsciously incompetent. So we all start there with everything, um, especially new information. And that can be very um, demoralizing, especially if you have a fixed mindset or if you have the arrival syndrome, you can say, well, I guess I can never know this. I can't um, increase my capacity. 
And instead, we can continue to build our knowledge. Bruce, can you walk through the rest of those steps? Yeah. So you're, when you start out, you're unconsciously incompetent. You don't know what you don't know. And um, people can take that a couple of different ways. They could just be oblivious and not, not try to figure out what they don't know, or they can use it as a springboard and say, I'd like to try to find out what I don't know. And then the next thing is you become consciously incompetent. You're like, oh, holy cow, I really don't know anything about this. And you, and there's like a light that comes on. And then you become consciously competent. So you know that you know something. Okay. I really know this. But then the, the, what we're all striving for, and I don't think we can ever get there uh, 100%, is we're, we should all be striving for to become unconsciously competent. When you become unconsciously competent, what ends up happening is you're, you're constantly seeking knowledge so that you can use it without even thinking about it. And you continue to look, look for knowledge, not even knowing you're doing it. It's just a way of life. Um, Warren Buffett would be a great example of this uh, that I believe in the financial world for people that are, are looking at this. Warren Buffett is one of the richest men ever to be on the face of this earth. He's in his 90s. Uh, Charlie Monger, his number one um, person, is, is even older than he is. And they both work to strive to try to figure out investments and in the, in the way to actually manage your money on a daily basis. And so if anybody deserving of the arrival syndrome, you would think it would be Warren Buffett. And, but what's interesting is uh, Nelson talks about Ed Fleming, who died in 1993, and he was a wonderful business consultant who was still working at age 93, so very similar to Warren Buffett. And he is a person who taught Japanese the idea of quality. I lived through this period. Okay, so when I was growing up in the, in the, in the 60s and 70s, we were coming out of kind of a golden age of the 50s after World War II, and there was a lot of pride in the United States. And the pride of the United States caused, you know, just this economic boom of cars and houses. But then what happened with many corporations is they hit the arrival syndrome. And they thought, oh, well, everything we do and everything we touch turns to gold. And you start, you slowly saw the quality that was being produced in automobiles, in homes, in toys, in construction equipment actually go down and down. And in this uh, Ed Fleming, excuse me, Deming was actually trying to explain this to American business people, but they wouldn't listen because they had arrived. They were saying, hey, we're the greatest economy ever coming out of the World War II. So he went to the Japanese who are disciplined, and they have this sense, this sense of culture and working for uh, the future. They respect the history and the future. And so they have a, a way of presenting ideas as far as kaizening. Kaizening means to always get better. Mm-hmm. And continuous improvement. Kaizen, so improve, good. Yeah, continuous improvement. And so they, they just rocketed past United States corporations. And the biggest example were, were in their automobiles. And of course, what did we do in the United States there? We then doubled down. And, uh, and the unions at the time said, oh, you know, you shouldn't be buying 
foreign cars. You should actually be buying our cars. And so they did some things for tariffs and things to keep the cars out. And of course, that that meant there was less competition and the quality of the cars just kept going down, down and down. I'm just using cars as an example because I, I think it's the easiest one. Which it wasn't is to- really sad <laughs> if you have to put controls in place to make something um, be purchased more than the free market would actually choose because of quality and price. And even to this day, this still permeates, especially in the in the automobile industry, where they say you should not be buying foreign cars, you should be buying American cars. And I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I believe, I, I'd have to look this up, but I believe Ford actually sold more cars in China the last couple of years than they actually sold in the United States. So it's okay for the car manufacturer to actually sell their cars abroad, but they don't want anybody to be sold in this direction. Well, that limits, that mentality limits competition too. So you feel like you have arrived. So the, he, he turned to the, the Japanese and of course, they, that competition, that Kaizening actually made a better product. Finally, when the borders were open more, the American corporations started taking more of that attitude and the American cars have come up now. And many people on this podcast don't even know what the heck I'm talking about, uh, which is, which is a good thing. The freedom of that. So that arrival system or uh, system actually works in a lot of American corporations. I think General Electric, it worked in General Electric used to be one of the greatest corporations. They kind of rested on their laurels. Uh, Kodak did the same thing. They didn't adjust to digital cameras. There are many examples of these kind of things uh, going forward. So one of the things I, I think we've kind of set the stage. <clears throat> now let's let if we can. I'd like to turn to what's happening in the IBC world as far as your rival syndrome right now and. We are actually discussing this. So I mentioned this on the podcast before. I believe that um, the Infinite Banking Institute has actually um, seen a lot of problems with this arrival syndrome where people have think have believed that they don't need to know any more about IBC. They don't need to get in the community. They can just go out and do their own things and and really hack up Nelson's teachings. And to me, it's analogous to saying, you know, the Bible isn't, it needs to be updated right now. And we need to change the Bible. Now, obviously, the, you know, I'm a, I'm Catholic. So there was a Vatican II, Vatican, the Vatican, the, the leader of the church, they do modernize some things, but they really stay with the basis of what the, the teaching is. And so Nelson would be in agreement with that. You know, he he had mentioned to me before that, you know, he wished he wouldn't have put illustrations in because illustrations change according to the government rules and how the how the insurance companies actually change their products. Uh, but we're having a whole lot of people out there that are not certified IBC practitioners never have been to the Institute, never inquire about anything, but they jump on the IBC bandwagon. And I'd like to just give a few examples right now of one organization, which I actually think is pretty good, but I think they've actually hit the arrival syndrome. And 
what I, the first thing I should I believe that everybody should understand is you really should be working with a practitioner. If you're not working with a practitioner, probably that particular person is going to tell you why Nelson is out of touch because I've seen this and you need to listen to me because I'm bigger and better. Well, I always say, well, Nelson did, was in the industry for 60 years. And if you've been in the industry for 15 years, you probably have a little bit more to learn from Nelson. And so one of these particular, and I'm not going to name any names, uh, but one of these particular things I'm going to read right from their manual. And I find this to be very, very interesting. So you say, beware of these whole life policy red flags. Some of this is pretty good, but a lot, but a lot of it is actually is not in concert with Nelson's teaching. And it's also shows me that they think they have arrived to the only uh, way to do things. And so this first one, it says policy performance relative to its peers using the same word problem should be the most important factor when buying an asset you'll own for your whole life. Performance should absolutely be the biggest di differentiator. Mm. Well, what's interesting is how can performance be the biggest differentiator when you don't know what's actually going to happen for the next 30 years? It actually says it on the illustrations that these are not guaranteed and future performance will actually be different. And anybody well, because an illustration can't guarantee performance. It's that's, it, that's exactly right. But then what's what's interesting about this is after they make after they make that comment, they then say, let's talk about dividends and rates and history. Sorry, each company's dividend rate is relevant only to their own internal formulas and year by year fluctuations. Okay, so they are saying and acknowledging there's going to be fluctuations. And then they say comparing different companies' dividends over time is like comparing 100,000 meters to 100,000 yards. They may be correlated, but they aren't the same. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say, look at this illustration, and you have to compare performance and then go back later on and say, well, you know, dividends, they're not guaranteed. Every company's different, and they're, and they're going to be different over the lifetime of the loan, or the, uh, not the loan, the, uh, the, uh, the, however you have this particular contract in place. So they think they've had it figured out, but what they, what they actually are showing us is that they have nothing figured out. Um, they also talk about then what's interesting is they talk about that cash value should be the biggest indicator of whether you buy this particular policy or not. Mm. Well, that is great, but early cash value is dependent upon PUAs, not based. Early cash value. Future cash value would be more dependent on base, not PUAs. But then later on, they say, is base policy bad? Focusing on this is answering the wrong question correctly. You see, your base whole life policy is the main growth engine of the entire IBC strategy, including all enhancement riders. So I'm totally confused. Is they're it speaking out of both sides of their mouth? They're saying right. <laughs> they're saying focus on cash value. Then they're saying focus on base policy, which is really not going to focus on cash front. 
And they also said, don't focus on the death benefit. Well, if you're focusing on base, you're focusing on guaranteed death benefit. So what, so, what should you focus on? Because they're telling you, right. don't focus on anything, focus on everything. <laughs> right. So this is the kind of things, and they actually say at the very beginning, they said the ultimate guide to understanding your whole life policy for IBC. And yet this person is not a certified practitioner. Mm-hmm. And you can understand now, a certified practitioner has some guidelines that they're going to follow. And yes, they're going to they're going to educate you on a variety of different ways of doing things, but they're going to they're also going to tell you about these guidelines that you really need to stay in not because it is absolutely the best way to do things in the future because we do not know the future. But it's because this is a way to try to encompass all possibilities that may arise. And it's the best way to hit a moving target is to have a balance between everything. So that's just something I wanted to bring up today that shows that there's a lot of people in this industry that I believe have actually not fought off the arrival syndrome yet because they're, and they're actually putting it in print. And if you actually look at it with a discerning eye, you're going to actually see that they're probably trying to confuse you or trying to show you how good of a person they are because they figured it out and Nelson had it all wrong. Bruce, I think um, it's so eye-opening, especially when you take something that is the fundamental foundation. You can't build a new foundation and call it the same thing. And when you mentioned it would be kind of like reinventing the Bible or rewriting the Bible, it also could be akin to saying, well, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to um, throw away the Bible. I'm not going to use the Bible. I don't believe in the Bible, but yet I'm still going to be a good person. I'm going to be a Christian and I don't need the Bible anymore. I mean, you can't do that. That's the foundation of your faith. And it's the same thing in infinite banking that Nelson Nash's original guiding principles are the foundation for everything going forward. And uh, the risk of jumping too far ahead and not having time to cover it, I want to point out one thing from the next chapter that is in his book called Use It or Lose It. And if you're following along, and if you have your own book, this would be on page 35. He's talking about this idea that if you have a new mindset, you need new habits to support that. You can't just change your mind without changing your life because you have to change your life to support the new mindset. Otherwise, the new mindset will just become watery and it will vanish. You can't own a paradigm that you're not living. And But he specifically talks about here that in talking with members of the Infinite Banking Concept I Think Tank, so this is um, some of the things that you've been attending, Bruce, and this is where infinite banking practitioners get together and address issues. Um, they continue to notice that many are still caught up in the posture of thinking that the matter is a function of interest rates. This is a fatal error. He said it has to do with recognizing where money is flowing to and the failure of charging interest to yourself for things that you buy using your own banking system. So he's talking about interest rates are not the primary driver. He's saying what is the primary concern? What is the one thing to focus on is where is money flowing? who is in control and how can you have more control by using infinite banking? It's not about projections. It's not about performance, which is a very misleading word because performance sounds like you can chart ahead of time what something's going to do. But I mean, racehorses, you can't 
if you say their performance, you're looking backwards. You're looking at what historically has happened. You can't guarantee what they're going to do in the future. If you're looking at the performance of, I don't know, for instance, the weather, clearly we cannot predict that exactly with accuracy going forward. We can look at a historical trajectory or historical track record. That's not a trajectory. And we can say, what was the performance? But when we use the word performance to look forward into the future, it's completely incongruent. You cannot guarantee performance, especially in a world where things like interest rates, inflation, uh, dividend announcements, the growth of the policies inside of the life insurance company. There's so many factors that we don't know. However, we can know for sure that when you have an infinite banking policy, you're putting yourself in a position of control and you are in that growing capital space where you are the banker. You're building capital. You have capital to seize opportunities. You have the ability to pay back to your own banking system. And because of that flow of money, you have a policy, you have a strategy in your financial life, you have principles that are truly working for you. And you know that it's going to grow. You know that you will have dividends be paid. You know that you will have cash value grow. You know that you're going to have a death benefit. There's a guaranteed premium. There are a lot of guarantees, but you can't pinpoint one component in the future, call it performance and hinge everything on that. This is a particularly devastating now in the real estate world where a lot of people are using IBC to purchase real estate. And I've mentioned this before, there are, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> there are other things like private equity that gather capital and they then must actually deploy it. They must to get a return because they have said to their investors, we're going to get your return. There are, are called SPACs, special acquisition companies that do the same thing, but they don't even, they just gather capital. They don't tell the people what they're going to actually use to get a return for them, but they tell them they're going to get a return. So they have this capital and they're, they want to deploy it, deploy it, deploy it. Well, this is what this is what is happening in the real estate world now as interest rates are changing. They're still preaching that you actually need to get your money in motion. You need to get it in motion. That's all they preach about. So they I feel like they have the arrival syndrome where they think that the only way to build wealth is to get your money in motion. Just keep getting in motion, keep getting in motion. What I found is the more you try to keep getting your money in motion, you're going to make mistakes. You're not discerning about it, and you and you're the only reason to move money is to get it in motion. Well, if you actually store capital, and you realize that you don't know anything, you keep looking for the best deal of what you're going to use that capital for. You're not going to make as many mistakes. And what's interesting about mistakes is. One mistake, even after you've made a lot of money, can bring you down to back to zero. But if you steadily grow your wealth and minimize those mistakes, you might make a small mistake, but it won't bring you back to zero. This has happened to wealth builders all the time. And I'm sure listeners have, have heard these kind of stories that this person's a multimillionaire, but he's already lost everything several times. And that is because those people early on have this arrival syndrome that Nelson talks about. They think they figure it all out. They don't put any 
checks and balances then. They just figure they're going to just keep going. Once they make that mistake a couple times, now they figure it out, oh, maybe I need to keep learning and they can keep their wealth going forward. So, so good. Just because things are going well doesn't mean you've learned everything there is to know. All right, let's wrap it up here. Sorry, everyone, for the technical challenges today. We will have this episode live for you shortly. And please do put your comments and your questions in wherever you're listening. We would love to hear your questions. Bruce, did you want to go back to uh, Fritz's question today, or would you like to address that in the future? Well, I just addressed it on YouTube for him. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. All right. I did not see that portion. Thank you. All right. Um, So thank you so much for being with us on this show, please go ahead and give us a thumbs up. Give us a like, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. The more people that we do have who are listening and um, continuing to ask questions about how you can keep and control more of your money, the more we can get this algorithm out in front of people who really are looking for that kind of financial knowledge and that kind of financial wisdom where they're not saying I've arrived and there's one way to do things. And it's the way that everyone else is doing things because we know that just because you've had some amount of success does not mean that you've arrived. We want to continue growing and learning. And so we'll defeat the arrival syndrome by continuous growth, kaizening, and continuing to challenge our previous assumptions and our current assumptions and continuing to have a growth mindset. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you would like us to take a look at your financial life and be able to make recommendations on how you can keep in control more of your money, we can do that. If you come over to themoneyadvantage.com, you can book an appointment with our advisors right on that front page and have a conversation to find out more about what we do, talk about your financial situation, your goals, your uh, financial picture and really get a good sense of looking at all of the details, how you can make the best financial decisions moving forward. And we would love to have that conversation with you. Thank you so much. And in closing, please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. 
E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.